I wanted to start not only a new year, but a new decade by saying to you from the bottom of my heart that I get goosebumps when I think about what we have the potential to do over the next decade in the kingdom of God. And that was already happening, but then that just got amplified times a million when I got to stand in Mercedes-Benz Stadium at Passion 2020 earlier this week with 65,000 18 to 25-year-olds lifting up the name of Jesus to not only ring in a new year, but a new decade. It was breathtaking. Unbelievable. And one of the things that caught my attention the most, we were there with a group of students and even some of the elders and their wives and some young adults uh, in our church. And what caught my attention being there for the time I was there was when Pastor Louis Giglio got up there and talked about 2020. He talked about the fact that we're back in the 20s. It's crazy to think that the 1920s were 100 years ago, but what he did was he recalled everything that was happening culturally in the United States 100 years ago. And you may have studied it in history. I love history, so I love talking about things like this. But the 1920s were one of the brightest points in all of American history. It marked the end of World War I, the Great War. Everybody came home. Jazz music was exploding onto the scene. People were celebrating and dancing culturally in a way they never had before in masses. The stock market was booming. Felt like money was everywhere. Industry was growing. Technology was growing. It was a boom on every level of the United States. So much so that we remember it in history as the roaring 20s. And what Louis did in his message was he said, so here we are, and I believe that the roaring 20s are back. But I don't mean the roaring 20s in the sense that everything around us in the world is going to boom and soar. I mean, I believe the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to roar and the church is going to rise up like never before to see things in our day that we have not seen. And I mean, I got adrenaline moving through me like I'm about to play in a playoff game and I'm like, let's go. And we got like hundreds of our students right there tasting this moment. And everything in me just wanted to get in front of you today and go, do you recognize what is right in front of us? Like 2020, the easiest topic to do a sermon series on. It is literally the numbers that mean vision. Like your vision is measured. When you say, I have 2020 vision, it doesn't mean you have perfect vision. It just means you see clearly. I want to ask our church, do we see clearly the moment that we're in in redemptive history? Are we seeing clearly what we actually have the opportunity to participate in? Because it's not just hype or adrenaline from the beginning of a new year. Legitimately, I believe around the world and in our local context, we have the capacity to participate in something for the kingdom of God unlike anything that has ever happened before. You guys know we easily have the capacity to make sure that the Bible is translated to every language and tribe and tongue on this planet during this decade. That's a big deal. And what's crazy is the, the main push at Passion 2020 this week was for people to participate in that through giving. And the, the people who are run, running what's called Share Light we already had a telephone conference set up with them for tomorrow to see how our church could participate in that, which is crazy. I was like, 
This is amazing. And we're going to do that together as a church. But not just in technology that's spreading around the world do we have an opportunity like never before. Spiritually speaking, because of technology, I believe people are finding out faster than ever that no other option works in this world except Jesus. Like things that people weren't discovering until they were 60, 70, 80 years old a little while ago, they're now discovering in their 20s. Because our world is so connected, people are seeing so fast, okay, money can't satisfy, sex can't satisfy, esteem can't satisfy, validation can't satisfy, my career can't satisfy, where do I look? That's why anxiety and depression is just through the roof. We're more connected digitally than ever before, but it's never been more clear that our souls have a God-sized gaping hole. It's intended for Jesus. And so we've got this opportunity where people are noticing their own brokenness. And we also have an opportunity in 2020 to anticipate the fact that people are going to be looking for hope. You guys hear about World War III? You know what's crazy about that this week is that it feels normal to us. That's how numb we are. We're like, oh, yeah, they got all these nuclear bombs. So do we probably turn into something huge. And you're like, it's just another day's news for us. On top of that... We have an election this year. I don't know if you forgot about that. So excited for that, by the way. Um, And I only bring that up to say, do you realize how much the world around us is going to be searching for hope and light somewhere? Like, I, I, I can taste it. I can see it. The local church has an opportunity to stand up like never before. And I would press in even deeper on that. Auburn Community Church has an opportunity to stand out like never before. And I don't want us to miss it. I have never seen a church community contextually have the variables that we have all happening simultaneously. I've seen churches grow, seen multi-site campuses. I've seen like every model of church you can think of. I've never seen church in a very influential college town, mix a move of God among a local community and an influential campus to create a multi-generational family that's going out all over the world and making a boom for the glory of God right here at home. It's awesome what we get to participate in. And I'm not even saying that because I get to be a leader in it. I'm saying that just 2020, will you look at where you're sitting right now? Will you look at the situation that we're in and go, Oh, wow, we get to participate in something that's so amazing. And yet, I believe if we're not careful, we could miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. That's why I'm going to preach this sermon series. And to preach this sermon series, I'm going to give you what I believe is our one word for the year 2020. So everybody got their one word for the year? If you've been coming a while... You know I do that every year. I try to pick out one word that's just going to define my year, and it's something that I just think about throughout the year and go back to. I think it's a little bit more effective than writing down 20 things that you're going to do for a week. And Not that I'm anti-resolutions, love resolutions, but the one word thing just makes it simple and I think more sustaining. But when I asked the Lord as I looked to the Word of God, what's the one word that you have for Auburn Community Church in 2020? He gave me two that are really one. See, God's crazy like that. He can take two things that seem like they're different in contrast to one another and make them one. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And that is why our word to make sure that we do not miss on all that God has for us, our word or our words for 2020 are grace and truth. Grace and truth. Look at somebody next to you and say, grace, grace, grace. 
Look at somebody you just ignored and say truth, truth. Only Jesus can take two seemingly competing tensions and make them one. And to look at how these two powerful words are combined in the person of Jesus, I want to take us to the very same scriptures that we were reading just a week and a half ago at our Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve was crazy at ACC, by the way. We did uh, the candlelight service for the first time, which I was so nervous about. because I was like, this is going to be awesome. Or awful. It's never in between. It's like, this is going to be, and, 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 you know, we're not used to doing stuff like that, but I think it went well. Only a few people got burned, and uh, it, was, it, it, it was actually phenomenal. But I want to take you to the exact same chapter that I preached on that night. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Bible drill to start 2020. Anybody get a new Bible for Christmas? Show it off. Somebody say, I love my Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. First chapter of the most unique of the four Gospels. When you read the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a lot of commonalities and stories about Jesus. But what's unique about John is that John was Jesus' absolute best friend. And so when John sits down to write his account of the life of Jesus, he doesn't begin with historical data. This is when Jesus was born. He begins with a redemptive story. And he talks about who Jesus was before he was ever born into the world in Bethlehem as a baby boy. And it's powerful. But I want to look at what John says about Jesus' divinity coming down from heaven, fully God, and becoming a man. John chapter 1, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here's what it says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of, say it, grace and truth. The Word became flesh. John calls Jesus the Word. It's the Greek word logos. It means all that could be knowable, can be knowable, or will ever be knowable about God is full in Jesus. The Word became flesh. If you read the message, it says moved into the neighborhood. God found a new address among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And how did he do it? He did it as the glory of the Father, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, watch this, full of grace and truth. Now, I just want you to think about that for a split second. How can you be full of both of those things? What is grace? Grace is the demerited favor of God. Some of you grew up hearing that grace is the unmerited favor of God. That simply means getting something that you didn't deserve. But grace is actually the demerited favor of God because demerited means you get the opposite of what you deserved. Grace is so good. It's not just that God gave you something that you didn't ask for, that you didn't earn. God gave you the opposite of what you did earn. You deserved hell, he gave you heaven. You deserved separation, he gave you closeness. You deserved to be away forever as a slave, and he brought you closer than you can possibly be as a son or daughter. That's grace. And that's not just like amazing grace, that's scandalous grace. If you think truly, and you go back to our Wrecked by Grace series about what you and I actually deserve, it is scandalous that a holy God would look at you and look at me and say, I love you, I am with you, I don't care where you've been, I've washed away the past, the blood of Jesus is enough, that's grace, that's love, and we've been wrecked by it. 
Now, what is truth? It's the best question in the history of the world. Pontius Pilate asked that question and should have waited for Jesus to answer it because the answer was right in front of him. What is truth? Well, truth simply defined is Jesus, but if you want kind of more of a feel behind what we mean when we say truth, we're talking about objective facts. We're talking about a standard set by a creator. We're talking about what's real. We're talking about the opposite of a lie. So truth is all about getting down to what is the fact, what is actually there. And truth is the word of God. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So when you read about the truth, it means there is a standard for how you should live your life. There is a way of obeying God. There is a way that seems good to man, but there is a way that is perfect in the sight of God. And everything that God sets into motion in his creative order is truth. Now think about those two tensions. Truth is all about committing yourself to a standard. Grace is all about forgiving and restoring what's there and what was lost. How do you take those two extremes and say, he's not half and half, full of both? Did you notice that? Full of grace and truth. Skip down to verse 16 and check this out. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. So Jesus takes his relationship with his heavenly Father, dies in our place. So if Jesus took your place, guess what? You get to take his. It's the message of the gospel. Brought into a right relationship with your heavenly Father that you walk in every day of your life. And how did he do it? Full of grace and truth. ACC, look up here and don't miss this. The one thing that you and I cannot miss over the course of this next decade as a church, if we want to step into all that's available for us in Jesus, is being full of grace and full of truth. The world is starving for both, and they know it. And the problem in the church for, I would say, hundreds of years is that we've offered the world a divided approach where you have to choose between the two. You can go into any church or any Christian environment and figure out pretty quickly whether or not it's a grace-filled environment or a truth-filled environment. How do I know if it's grace? You'll know that it's grace because you'll hear things like this. God's not mad at you today. You're doing better than you think you are. God loves you. God forgives you. Jesus has washed away the past. You're loved by God. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, and if you stood in those environments like I have, they have a tendency to make you feel really good about your position before God, but they also have a tendency to feel a little bit empty and hollow because you're like, that's awesome. But if this grace is so good, do I keep just accepting the fact that God has forgiven me and living like a hypocrite and then feeling like a fake every time I come back to this environment, but then you tell me that me and God are good. Like, I feel like maybe this grace was supposed to do more than just save me, but sustain me in obedience. But okay, you tell me God still loves me, even though I would love for this grace to be more powerful than that. I'll accept it. I'm good. And we've said, okay, we're going to be a grace-based place and it feels a little bit empty, yet you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say we've also been in environments where truth has been the focus. Oh, yeah, you know that group. 
that church, that preacher who's like, this is the word of God. And that's how he says it. This is the Bible. This is, that was a little Billy Graham. He's, he was grace and truth. And, but, but you know what I mean when, 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 we, when we have an environment where it's like, yes, this is truth. And yes, our world is going to hell with a bunch of different lies that they're holding on to. We need to preach truth. But yet the way it's delivered and the way uh, we focus on it feels unloving because it's almost like we're banging our fist into a book knowing that we're not going to perfectly conform to everything that's taught in this book. But yet it's truth. And so we love loudly and fiercely proclaim the truth of the word of God, and yet it's clear on our faces that we don't actually love people. So if you've been in that environment, you're like, we're serious about the word of God. And you're like, yeah, you're so serious, you don't notice the person who is broken in need of your love. And here's what's happened. A divided world sees how divided we are, and we don't have anything to offer them. If it's always going to be one or the other, We don't have the sustenance to be able to shine in a world that's so dark and so desperate for us to be different. And so what I want to do in this series is I'm going to talk about what I believe to be the three most polarizing issues in our culture in 2020, where the church has been forced to choose between grace and truth. And I'm going to preach them hopefully full of the Holy Spirit to clarify them and show us how to walk in them as a church because the world needs us to be full of both. So I'll go ahead and tell you this, and you can invite your friends and and you can pray for me. You'll see why. Next Sunday, we're talking about human sexuality, how Jesus is full of grace and truth. The following Sunday, January 19th, we're talking about politics and racism. And the following Sunday, January 26th, we're talking about anxiety, depression, and suicide. Yes, please pray. You know what's funny? It seemed like a good idea a couple months ago when we planned it out, and now we're in January. I'm like, oh, no. Did we really plan to do this? Here's why. All of those issues have a tendency to drive Christians in one direction or the other. you got to make a choice. Is it grace or is it truth? So sexuality, it's like, do you love people who are broken? Cool. Grab your rainbow flag in March. If you're going to be sensitive, if you're going to love, if you're going to be grace-filled, then we got to make an allowance for this. And not only, you know, we're so quick, to, I'm going to cover homosexuality in depth, but we're so quick to jump to that issue instead of noticing that God sees all sexual sin the same in his eyes. Like your pornography addiction or your tendency to cheat on your spouse or your tendency to not be able to stop sinning sexually is the exact same as that in the eyes of God. But we got this tendency in this area to go, okay, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you tolerant or are you a bigot? But there's a part of you that, especially if you have friends who struggle with homosexuality like I do, there's a part of you that wants them to know it is okay to not be okay. It is okay that you're struggling. It is okay. But there's another part of you that reads this book and becomes very, very, very concerned and burdened about our abandonment of living in fear of a holy God. Oh, we're going to march under the banner of a rainbow? Do you know that the rainbow is the symbol in the Bible of God hanging his bow and delaying his wrath on humanity that was justified? And you're going to parade under that in rebellion against your maker. So there's a part of me that I, I feel that, but then I also know people. And I go, okay. Christians have been forced through this entire process of going, which one's it going to be? And it feels like there's no good option on either side. 
Speaking of no good option on either side, let's talk about politics. That was meant to be funny. <laughs> Another failed joke. <laughs> it's great. We got an election this year, and the division is so polarizing, but there, there's, no, there's no clarity of how to find some sort of a middle ground on the scale. I'm not going to say which side is which, but just in my description, you're going to know who I'm talking about. There are Christian voters on both sides of a major party debate who have flaws and fallacies on the other side that they can't reconcile. We got a group of people going, are you kidding me? You're a Christian and you're going to endorse these character flaws, this misogyny, this sexism. You're going to endorse this stuff? Really? Come on. And then you got the other side who's going, okay, you're going to be a Christian and endorse the murder of millions of babies? Are you kidding me? And there's this unresolved tension on both sides to where I legitimately think Christians are going, what do we do? How do we handle this? And then the third one, anxiety and depression and suicide. I, I feel like for so long in our country, suicide in the church was treated as something that was the unforgivable sin. And so people who are in this room, you grew up with parents who taught you that if you or somebody kills themselves, they automatically go to hell. Don't ever even think about that. And what that did is it cast this dark cloud over anybody struggling with a deep, hard mental illness like depression into thinking, well, I've got this special struggle that's just different than everybody else, and I'm just in the black cloud of not being able to have any access to light. Well, what did our culture do? Our culture, our culture swung in the opposite direction toward grace, and now suicide has become romanticized. We've tried to open it up for a dialogue, and we've created things like 13 Reasons Why and told people, you know what? If that's the step you need to take, that's the step you need to take. That is a lie. Terrible. But yet we don't really know how to be sensitive to the issue and guide them into real truth. It feels like there's no good option one way or the other because it feels like i got to choose between grace and truth, and it feels like i got to choose between grace and truth. And listen, everybody look up here and do not miss this. If Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth, I would tell you to read your Bible and pray about it and just decide where you stand on some of these issues. Here's the problem. Jesus is not 50% grace and 50% truth. Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. So Jesus is not a scale where you have to figure out how to balance issues. Jesus is a sea, and he invites you to swim in his love and swim in his truth and learn how to let what's true about him engulf you. Jesus did not have grace and truth. He is grace and truth. So wherever you have Jesus, you have the supernatural capacity to be both simultaneously. They're not antonyms. They're now synonyms in his personhood. So if Jesus lives on the inside of you, you are now filled with living water from within to do what? To be 100% grace and 100% truth to a lost, dark, and broken world around you. And the reason why I'm preaching this message today is because we could talk forever about sexuality and about politics and about depression and about statistics and about all this stuff. But all that would do is shine light on a darkness out there. Here's the reality. This world is not changing until Christians are engulfed by truth and grace from within. So the greater darkness than all of that stuff is the darkness that lives in us because we have decided in our own daily relationship with God that we're going to oscillate back and forth between truth and grace. How often do you do this? How often do you go back and forth of 
reveling in the grace of God and trying harder because the Bible is true. And so you go from feeling like a hypocrite to trying to obey God more consistently to feeling forgiven by God, but then doing the same things, but then always struggling. And it's like this nonstop tension. And I believe what Jesus wants to do in this world into the 2020s is set the captives free. But if our prayer is not let it begin in me, we got no shot. So that's the message today. How can Jesus begin with your life today by setting you free? Because the reality is the church is never going to stand out until the church is full of Christians who are full of grace and truth. How do you get there? Turn over from John 1 to John 8. Go over to John 8 real quick, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. I want to show you this. In verse 31, it says, To the Jews who believed in him. Anytime Jesus is talking, pay very close attention to his audience. Sometimes we interpret things that Jesus said, and we don't interpret the setting. And so we look at what Jesus said to a Pharisee, and we think Jesus is saying it to us. And you might be living a completely different way. Pay attention to the audience. But whenever you get an audience like this, your eyes need to be glued to the Jews who believed in him. Guys, these are people who are in. They're not on the fence. They're not like, you might be the son of God. They are like, you are the Messiah. It is crazy, but we actually believe you came down from God. We actually believe you're the Savior, and we trust you. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? If you know anything about the Bible, that is hilarious. (laughs) Because Jesus is in front of his people and he basically invites them into a freedom that happens as a result of truth. You will know the truth if you hold on to my teaching and the truth will set you free. And the Jews respond, oh, Maybe you don't know this, Jesus. Our father is Abraham. We're the chosen people of God. We've never been slaves to anyone. And if you read that honestly, like I do, you want to interrupt and be like, oh, really? You're a slave right now to the Roman Empire. You see those crosses that are hanging? Those are reminders that they own you. You've never been enslaved to anybody? So they're like, okay, okay, the Romans, fine. But it's just for a little while, Jesus is going to deliver us. Well, hold on, let's back up a little bit. Before the Romans, it was the Greeks with Alexander the Great, and I'm pretty sure he owned you as well. Okay, fine, the Romans and the Greeks, but they're pretty close. Like, it's pretty much the same. Well, I'm pretty sure before the Greeks were here, the Persians were here, and they did some crazy stuff to you guys. Yeah, well, the Persians were rough. Okay, well, before the Persians, there were the Assyrians, and Jonah, like, prophesied to them. They were crazy. They would bury you in sand and do all. You sure you've never been enslaved? Okay, fine. No, let's rewind even further back to the Babylonians who initially took you into slavery and captivity. They're like, okay, fine. It's been a rough 400 years. Fine. And you're like, okay, well, let's talk about the other 400 years where you were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. They're over here claiming we're free. We're the people of God. But their reality is marked by slavery. That's because one of the most blinding after effects of sin is that you can remain enslaved to things that you have learned to tolerate over time. They're slaves. And they don't even know it. We're God's people. We're not enslaved. No, all you are is a slave. 
because you've never learned how to get set free by the truth. Watch Jesus' answer, verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, no, you are a slave. Not to some foreign government, but to what rules you on the inside because of your sinful nature. And the only way you can be brought out of that slavery is to be brought into the family of God. And I'm the son of God. And I say, I want you to be free, but not just free in word, free in deed. See, when Jesus sets you free, he wants it to be more than a one-moment thing where you believe in the grace of God, and he says to you, you're free, you're my child. He wants it to result in a life that I would call free in deed as well as word. And if I could just press into ACC, everybody look up here and don't miss this. If there is a grace-truth-balance problem at our church, it's not just a balance problem, it's seeing both simultaneously together. If there is a problem at our church, it is this. We have learned to abuse the grace of God without ever actually activating our will to hold on to Jesus' teaching so we can see the day where the truth sets us free indeed. We're all free in word. When Jesus tells you you've been brought back from the dead and brought into the family of God, that's true about you. But something that's true about you is not effective until you activate it. For example, when Jesus heals somebody who can't walk and he says, stand up and walk, they already have the power in their legs. But the world around them is not going to feel that power until they walk. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us by the grace of God. And we're not walking. We're walking around worshiping in songs, reminding ourselves that we've been forgiven of addictions that God wanted to deliver us from 10 years ago. And the world's looking at us and going, I don't see the real, authentic you in it. It's because we've embraced a grace that doesn't require truth to take hold. What is truth? Truth is light. It exposes everything. Jesus wants you to shine in such a way to the world around you where there is no longer any need for you to hide anything. That's what it means to walk in truth. Read 1 John. What you and I are missing is that we accept the forgiveness that comes from God, but we still live hidden, secret, shameful lives. And we want the sermon or the song on Sunday to deliver me from the shame that I feel, but the reality is only Jesus can deliver you from that when you allow yourself to be known. Jesus is not saying walking in truth means living perfectly. He's saying walking in truth means living known. That you're free. That there is, what if there was no part of your life that you had to hide? What if there was nothing in you that you felt like the real me, the true me, is compromised by my behavior and thoughts? This is why we have to be a church loaded with grace and truth because we have to be a church that's safe enough for anybody to say, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm living in, and within the safety of their local pocket of community, they find healing over time because God moves through friendships, not just through sermons, and over time, people are living in the light and going, no, I don't have it figured out. No, the struggle has not gone away. Yes, I still struggle, but I don't struggle in the dark. I don't struggle with nobody knowing my stuff. I don't struggle in secret. And when you're in the light, guess what light does? Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1. 
So if I see one weakness in what we're doing at ACC, it's that we've got the real thing on the inside of us, but we don't have a lot of people who are the real deal. And it's, it's got to start with me. I'm never going to get up here and hold the microphone and be perfect. I will never tout my own personal holiness over any one of you because I am, I am messed up. I'm a little bit tired of getting in front of you and not feeling like I'm the real deal. I want the real thing. I want the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Yes, I, I, I would like to see God do miracles through me. I'd love to raise the dead. I would love to heal the blind. I'd love for us to have all kind of stuff going on in here that only the Holy Spirit could do. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life more than any miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit? He wants to make you real and authentic. Same person when nobody's watching as when everyone's watching. Fully known. So how, how, how does God do that? He does that through a daily process called grace and truth. It's daily. How do I stay connected relationally? I'm going to go to Paul for this one. You don't got to turn there. I'm just going to read it from Romans chapter 12. This is Paul's epic conclusion to the first 11 chapters of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I would add on, then you will be the real deal. Here's how Christianity works. In view of God's mercy, meaning God hasn't compromised grace on your life ever. If you know Jesus, you're always in the family. It's never been up for debate. It's not going to be up for debate tomorrow, depending on your behavior today. You're sealed. In view of that, what's your rightful response? Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, meaning more than God wants your songs on a Sunday, he wants your body on a Wednesday. I am yours, my mind, my thoughts, my actions, my relationships, my everything. I am yours. That's your true and proper worship. Okay, but I'm so inconsistent. I'm all over the place. How, how, how? Guys, I don't, I don't invent points from my sermons by just getting creative and cute with words. I literally just read what is on the page and go, oh, that's what it says. What did he say? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch this, guys. Conform and transform are written very similarly. That might be memorable in somebody's mind. That's how I write my points. You can do the same thing. So here's how you walk in grace and truth. Watch this. And they're already ahead of me. It's great. Do not be conformed to the world around you. And we'll go ahead and put it number two. Be transformed by the word within you. That's it. This is how you and I in our church become captivated by grace and truth. I love this. Can I just have a moment with our, our people who call this church home for a second? If you're visiting, you're from out of town, glad you're here. Happy New Year. Um, and if you're here and visiting and you're like, I'm thinking about making this my church, you can just look at your phone for a second. Everybody else, if this is your home church, I want you to hear this. God has put at our fingertips the opportunity to participate in a once-in-a-lifetime move of God. It will depend on whether or not we say yes to both grace and truth simultaneously. 
I want to implore you and beg you if you call this church home. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how uncomfortable it becomes, no matter how much we have to sacrifice, let's become people who actually do this. So when I preach this, I don't want this to be my two points at the end of a sermon and we get ready for next week because that one's going to be intense. This could possibly be the most important message in this entire series. Because if we don't become like this from within, it won't matter what message we're projecting to the world around. So let's do this. How do you start? Do not be conformed to the world around you. Y'all, this world has gone mad. It is not hard to see that. It will be on display all year long, all the time. And I think before we jump into the Bible and go, okay, well, this is how I need to live my life, too many times, and I'm included in this, we skip the step that involves activating your will and reminding yourself that if you don't make a conscious choice to not conform to that, that will become your default. This is the most frustrating part about being a Christian for me. I'll just be honest with you. 19 years in, I cannot stand waking up in the morning and it not coming naturally to me to obey God and read his word and do everything God calls me to do. I cannot wait to go to heaven to where it's just going to be default setting, honor God, find the delight of all of your desires in him. But until then, there's got to be a conscious choice for somebody who's been redeemed by the Holy Spirit. And that choice is, no, I'm not conforming. I'm not going to go down that road with the rest of the world because it's easy to see that our world is lost when we talk about all the evil that's happening. But why don't we talk about how often you agree with the pattern of teaching in this world and you find yourself on the other side of a lie. What motivates me the most to not conform to the world around me is when I remember that I am being lied to. You ever gotten to the other side of being lied to? And you find out that you've actually been betrayed. You've actually been hurt by somebody. And you didn't know everything that was going on. But now you know. You're mad. You're furious. That's the other side of every day agreeing with the world. So the reason why we can't conform is you've got to see ahead of time. It looks so good. So attractive. So right. Feels normal. It's a lie. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he made the most offensive statement in the history of the world. Literally said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one to get you to heaven. I'm the only one to get you to my father. It's just me. And our world looks at that and goes, see, that's what's wrong with you Christians. You're so exclusive. Yes, we are. It's not offensive that it's exclusive if it's true. Like, think about this. If we're starving to death and somebody's going, hey, I'm the only one who has food. We're not going to go, oh, I think you're so great. You're like, where? (laughs) You've got it. Okay. If, If others of us had it, that would be one thing. But what if it is true that Jesus is the only way to life? Then Jesus is not offending you by demanding you make him Lord over your life. He's helping you. And he's going, I just want to make sure you don't get to the end of a pattern of thinking, the end of a relationship, the end of a habit, and find out that that was a lie. And anything outside of a loving relationship with me, you will end up on the other side going, I got lied to. And so with that in mind, ahead of time, hindsight is always 2020. But what if our foresight was 2020? What if our ability at the beginning of the day to go, okay, this is how that's going to end if I conform. 
I will not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to agree with this world that that's going to satisfy me. I'm not going to agree with this world that I'm going to go down that pathway. I'm not going to agree that it's, that it's just not worth it to read my Bible. No, no, no. And when you develop the discipline of activating your will to deny yourself conformity to the world, you have now activated your ability to participate in the delight of the divine nature. That was a long sentence. Let me say it shorter. I was going to say, this is the part that, and then say a word that I've said on stage but got in trouble for. This is the part that's not fun about Christianity, okay? The good stuff's after number one. This is the part that you're like, I have to do this. But if I don't, I'm going to end up broken. Do not be conformed to the world around you. Now watch this. Then here's the good part. Be transformed by the word within you. James calls the Holy Spirit the implanted word of God. It's like code language in the book of James for Holy Spirit. You, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the implanted word of God, the presence of Jesus on the inside of you. And that knowledge renews your mind and transforms your heart. So what do you you mean the renewing of my mind? I mean now that you've not conformed to that way of thinking, now put this on. But if you try to put this on without taking that off, this will not have room. You got to take that stuff off and go, okay, this is what's true. This is what I know. But for too long, when people put Bibles in front of us, it turns us off because we think of a discipline. This part is not the discipline. This part is our delight. Because, oh man, been waiting all week to tell you this. The word of God is not a book. The word of God is a person. Did you... Do you know how I started this sermon with John chapter 1? What did it say in verse 13? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. When you flip the pages of your Bible, you're not studying for an exam. You're meeting with your savior. And for everyone in this room who's fallen out of love with the word of God over the course of the past year, to a certain degree, I'm with you. My prayer for 2020 is that we become captivated again in our hearts going, this is my opportunity to be with Jesus. You get transformed not by information. You get transformed by revelation of a person. And when you meet with the word of God, you meet with the word of God. And when that becomes your new nature, it's a relationship. First Samuel chapter one is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible thinking about just what God showed me through that word, and I'd I'd encourage you to read it this week. It's the calling of the prophet Samuel where God is like trying to talk to Samuel, but Samuel can't receive it. And what you find out through that chapter, I did a whole message on it called The Vision and the Voice. You can look it up uh, just on our old podcast. But it's about how we get so frustrated because we can't see God vision and we can't hear God voice. The vision of the voice of God is the word of the Lord our God. Seeing him is his word. Hearing him is his word spiritually. This is your opportunity to fall deeply in love with Jesus. Now watch. If you don't conform to the world and you're transformed by the word, guess what you just did? Became full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus is not the one who alone 2,000 years ago as a human being is full of grace and truth. Now, Christians have the capacity to walk around this world going, hey, 
If you need forgiveness, God loves you. And if you want to change, God has empowered you. But we will not compromise on either one of those extremes because he's both. And you can know he's both because I'm both. And you're both. And if we got a church loaded with people who have become like that, I cannot even imagine what God is going to do through this community. So let's be that church. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this room. Band's going to come up here. And all I simply want to ask you in this invitation moment is if you want to be that church. I wanted us to have a moment to start a new decade where people from all around can say, I'm in full of grace and truth. Would you close your eyes all over this space? I want to ask you a simple question. This isn't going to be a big moment. I legitimately just want to know if you're there. If you're not in a position where you, where you believe in Jesus or you want to participate in the life of the church, we would just say, you do not have to believe to belong. We love you. We see you. But if you're here and you know Jesus and you want to be a part of a church like that, full of grace and truth, and you're all in. I want to know this for my own prayer life and just so myself and our staff and our elders know we're not alone. If you're in, full of grace and truth, would you just lift your hand all over this room? Come on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful picture. I pray that you are looking down from heaven right now knowing that you have men and women, guys and girls here in Auburn, Alabama who are down for both. We're not going to walk around in hypocrisy anymore just claiming that because you love us, we can do whatever we want. But we're also not going to become so disconnected from people that we bang our Bibles everywhere we go. God, we want to be full of grace and full of truth. And at the end of the day, we just want to be full of Jesus. So God, we say no to the traditions of this world. We say no to conformity. And we say yes to being transformed by your word. What a savior you are transform stories and the story of our church in these moments. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing.